WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. Charlotte Mecklenburg School is pushing a massive $2.5 billion bond package. It promises to fund 30 projects, including big building improvements and even some new schools. And it's getting ready to head before voters next month. This morning, a local business leader pushing for what could be the largest school bond in state history. And then a bit later, Republicans pushing through big changes when it comes to our elections. But first, this now is David Longo. He's the Vote Yes for Bonds co-chair and the founder and CEO of CBI Workplace Solutions. Thanks for coming on Flashpoint. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So you're, you're a business guy. You're a CEO. Why, why are you involved in this campaign? Well, when you're running a business in any community, you have to think about the health of the community and a thriving community creates a great business environment. And so when I think about schools, if we want our community to continue to be successful, we have to invest in our future generations. I also believe that it's important for us as business leaders to continue to give back. Yeah, we're talking about investment of $2.5 billion. I believe it's the largest school bond in state history. Um, why is it needed right now? Well, you just have to take a look at the state of where our schools are. When you think about the condition of schools, safety, health, and well-being for our students, it's needed. We've kicked this can down the road for too many years, and we're sitting in a situation where the number has grown to a large number because we haven't addressed things at the pace that we should have been doing. We're a growing community, and we have to keep investing in our community. There are leaders that did that in the past in many other areas. We have to do that in schools. So you're saying it's overdue. Not just we need it, but it's overdue. Very much so. Um, several pastors I know have come out um, uh, against the plan with concerns about what this means for taxes, um, for folks who, who are barely making it by with a, with a bond package of this size. Tax increases are going to come along with it. Um, is, is, what do you tell people who are concerned about that aspect? Well, I think any time a community is considering asking its citizens to contribute more to it, we have to take those things very seriously and think them through. I think when we look at the need of the school system, the bond package could have even been significantly higher than it is. Uh, I think the counties tried to take a measured approach, but I'll come back and say if we're thinking about our community and we want our community to thrive, we have to think about the future generations and placing our children in unsafe, unhealthy environments is going to long-term affect us. As a person who supports this plan, is there anything that you feel like is missing that you would have liked to have seen included in this? Well, I, as a business leader, I'd always, you start with your aspirational goals yeah. of what you'd like to do, and then you have to step back and kind of measure things. I think the county's taken a measured approach. I think the fact that we have uh, 30 facilities that will undergo meaningful renovation or new facilities is needed. I think the fact that we're spreading it across the county and the whole school system, every area of our community is going to be positively impacted. Those that are in, in, in areas that are, have had more challenges, but then also in areas of growth. So I think it's a healthy, um, well thought out, well spread out investment. Uh, I, I know folks in the southern part of, of Charlotte have been frustrated with a, a new feeder school that's going in there and how it's being uh, planned for. Also parts of the northern part of uh, the, the county, some frustrations there. What do you say to folks, you brought it up briefly there, uh, about the distribution of, of projects and, and uh, how well 
every corner of this city will be represented. Yeah. Well, I think whenever you're dealing with something of this magnitude and when you're dealing with an organization of this size, people are always going to look to what's important to them in their particular area. And I think when you look at what the school system has to do, they have to look broadly across all areas. And so, you know, without getting to specifics of a particular school, I, I do think that they're doing a good job of addressing the needs holistically across the whole system. Um, talk to me about if this doesn't go through, what what were to happen? What are the hypotheticals if you, if you see something like this doesn't pass? Well, I'll start with optimistically. I do believe that yeah. the community will come together because I think that most people would all, I think all people would agree that our children are important to us and important to the future. Uh, the challenge is if it doesn't go through, this is going to cost us more money later on. So we've already sort of pushed off projects for too many years yeah. and the concern is the further out we go the more this is going to cost. We have to deal with inflation. Inflation is here. It's not going to disappear overnight and we're a growing community. So when you have those two things happening the investments are just going to get larger and it's going to become even a bigger challenge. You're predicting this will pass. What do you see as the, as the long-term economic impact that something like this will have on the community? When we think about our community, first of all, I always start with communities are either growing or they're contracting. In a healthy community continues to grow. It's very difficult to maintain status quo. Simple things, costs go up, things like that. So as communities continue to grow, we have to attract talent into our community and we have to attract businesses to, into our community. When you think about the economics of this community, one of the biggest drivers or the biggest drivers is our airport. But when we're talking with business leaders about relocating, they want to understand what is the school system? Where are they going to place their children? Where are, they going to, where are their associates going to place their children? And we have to be able to provide a safe, healthy, and thriving community. So that's what I think is critical, and that's why I believe that making this investment is going to help us in the future continue to grow as a community. You got to make sure the government, and no matter what it is, are, are good stewards of taxpayer money. And you know CMS has been through a number of superintendents in recent years. Uh, the school board is changing at times. Um, what do you say to folks who say they're concerned strictly from a taxpayer standpoint and, 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 and money being used properly by government that CMS is going to be a good steward of, of this money? Yeah. Well, I think there's always a challenge when you think about how people are spending your money. And I think that's a very valid question for people to ask. I think when you look at the challenges that we have in this community, um, I do believe that there's a lot of good things that have happened in CMS, and there's good results um, starting, to, we're, we're making progress. I think the pandemic impacted things, and certainly when you think about the a number of students who could not be properly educated, it's, it's very difficult to educate over a screen. Um, so you saw some of the results from that, but that doesn't mean that we can't keep, that we shouldn't continue to invest in our children. Uh, speaking of, you, these might be two separate issues, but I'll be interested in knowing if you think they're related. Uh, you talk about the pandemic learning loss. Uh, you, you've seen violence in some schools and, and you see a lot of people being very critical of our public school systems in general, not just CMS, but public schools in general. Um, 
and you have some people who, who say that our state lawmakers have not been supportive enough uh, of local schools and CMS. Um, when you're asking people for a $2.5 billion bond package, um, and yet you see some people criticize Republican lawmakers in Raleigh for not being supportive enough, how, how do you reconcile that? Do you feel like th this state is doing enough to make sure CMS, I believe the second largest school system after Wake, um, is properly supported? You know, I think that's a, one of those challenging questions. Sure. Because there's different perspectives on it. Yeah. I, I do think that the state has done a number of things over the last couple of years to try to help the system a little bit more. Um, but there's always more that can be done. But that has to be balanced with, as you started with, what's the concern about the increase in taxes? Yeah. So I understand that you have people in Raleigh who are dealing with things from a statewide perspective, and they have constituents all across the state that they're trying to balance. I think in this particular case, we have to focus on our community and what we can do here. I can't necessarily change what Raleigh is or isn't doing, but in this particular case, with this bond campaign, we can positively impact our schools. We can create an environment where it is a healthier and a safer place for our children to come together. When you think about community, think about parks, think about any areas, when children come into a school that is that the HVAC systems are not working properly, when, when the mechanical systems are so loud that teachers have to use microphones to talk in a classroom, when they have to relocate classrooms because of water intrusion, when principals have to be concerned about having people come into their schools because there's access challenges throughout the weekend and they don't know who may or may not be inside their building. And think about all those things yeah. and putting those children into that environment at a time in which we understand that we have to get children back into the school system. We've had some losses or drop off because of COVID. We've already talked about that. And if you can create a healthy, vibrant environment for children to learn, they will learn at an accelerated rate. Now, the environment is only one leg of the stool. You, 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 there are a lot of other things, but this is the one thing that we can control. So, you know, I'm choosing to focus on that because that's an area that we can impact. All right, David Longo, co-chair of the Say Yes, vote yes for Coban's uh, co-chair. Appreciate you coming on, thank you. Okay. All right, more Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. The battle between Democrats and Republicans continue to play out here in the Tar Heel State. This month, Republican lawmakers in Raleigh set to vote on new district lines across the state after years of battles in the courts. And it's not the only point of contention either. This week, Republicans overturning bills vetoed by Governor Cooper that look to change our elections. And Democrats are already firing back. Joining us now is Catawba College professor of politics and friend of the show, Michael Bitzer. Professor, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. As always, good to be with you. So the General Assembly uh, headed back to the drawing board, literally, to try to come up with some new district maps. We're expecting them in the next week or two. Every time we talk to you about this, I feel like I have to give the caveat that this is the, the least sexy issue to talk about in politics, but perhaps really the most important that, that people just don't pay enough attention to. So help our viewers walk them through what to expect when those maps come out in the next week or two and what you will be looking at and others will be looking at as well. 
Well, it's literally Groundhog Day here yet again in North Carolina politics because we are redistricting or redrawing the lines of all the congressional, state house, and state senate districts. People's districts may change throughout this process who they are being represented by in the state house, state senate, even Congress is probably going to change. So the conventional wisdom for North Carolina citizens is don't get used to your representative because it's likely going to change at some point in time. What we're likely to see are the maps drawn already behind closed doors. Uh, they'll be released probably next week. We'll have probably a very short legislative session to approve them. They are not subject to the governor's veto, so they will automatically become law once the maps are passed by both chambers. And then we potentially could see some kind of law lawsuit. I think it would probably be more over the racial dynamics because partisan gerrymandering has been allowed by both the federal courts and now state courts. And the process you just described it happening sort of behind closed doors and then a quick vote and then a, a perhaps a quick lawsuit. That's just the way it works here in North Carolina. That's all completely above board and legal. That's how we do elections, right? We've been doing this basically since the 1980s, so this is kind of standard operating procedure for North Carolina. We have never had a 10-year, decade-long uh, process where a map for the three different types of districts has held continuously over that decade. So this is just part of the normal North Carolina politics. And, and what makes it different this time around? I, I know the, the maps that were recently passed especially at the congressional level, we're, we're, we're switched back. The state Supreme Court got involved last time. What's different this time? Well, what's different is that in 2022, the Republicans took over the state Supreme Court that had issued a previous decision under a Democratic majority saying partisan gerrymandering violated the state constitution. The Republicans took the case back up and basically said, no, the Democrats got that decision wrong. They interpreted, they misinterpreted the state constitution. This is not a partisan uh, political issue best for the courts to deal with. So we're going to leave it up to the legislature to deal with this. So certainly, I think what we're all expecting at the congressional map level is a switch from a 7-7 tie split in our congressional delegation, likely to 10-4, but they could put the, push the maps even further to maybe 11-3, because Republicans need as many congressional seats as they can to buffer their very slim majority in the U.S. House of Representatives. So given the fact that Republicans are in control of the General Assembly, uh, as well as the fact that they are in control of the state Supreme Court, I mean, you, you laid it out there, but what's keeping them from doing basically whatever they want with the maps? Nothing. I mean, they, they have carte blanche to do whatever they want in terms of drawing the districts to benefit their party over the Democrats. So this is the you know, likely we will see next week uh, calls for the epitome of partisan gerrymandering based on North Carolina's maps. Um, a slew of election laws passed by Republicans this week in Raleigh, loosening rules on partisan poll observers <clears throat> and tightening the rules for mail-in voting. Lawsuits immediately followed. Size up the new laws and the legal wrangling that we're expected to see. 
Well, certainly this is, again, the Republicans putting their stamp on the election administration process. Normally, this is a bipartisan, nonpartisan uh, perspective and issue, but the Republicans have decided to do some major readjustments to election laws, like saying all mail-in ballots have to be in by election day. There is no more grace period for ballots to be mailed and postmarked on election day and then received. So certainly we have the lawsuits already in the hopper. Uh, we'll just have to kind of wait and see how those play out. But this is certainly a, a shift in how voters can participate. You know, poll observers, there's a little looser regulations around them as well. Again, this is all going to be subject to judicial review. And uh, some personal news for you this week. Uh, a new center officially launching up there at Catawba College. Um, it's going to be focused on, on studying politics here in North Carolina, promoting public service. Um, you're heading the, up the, the, this effort. Why is this something that you think we need right now? Well, in our divided, polarized environment, North Carolina is kind of a microcosm of, of a lot of the things that we see in our national political de, uh, environment. And I think focusing on this state's politics and looking and trying to understand those dynamics, but more importantly, focusing on what public service is. A lot of my students, some of them say they want to run for political office, but the vast majority of them say, I want to serve the public. And we need good people in good government to help our process run because ultimately it's we the people who are basically experimenting with this idea of self-governance we need to have civil conversation we need to understand the value of public service and we need to understand the state's politics for all the be best and oftentimes negative aspects of it it is worthy of study well, whether you like it or not, it's, it's something that we all need to learn about um, so we can change it if that's what we so choose to. Uh, let's exactly. see, his handle is Bowtie Politics on Twitter or X, as some call it. And you can see why sporting a colorful one uh, this morning. Next time you're on, I'm going to wear a bow tie as well. Um, I'm going to do Excellent. it. Excellent. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> Professor of Politics up at Catawba College, also the head of this new fancy center up there. I say name it, you know, the Bitzer Think Tank, but I don't think that's going to go through. Uh, Professor Bitzer, thanks as always. I do appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. This week, Charlotte City leaders approving a revised proposal for the remaining 29 acres of the old Eastland Mall site. It comes after two competing developers agreed to work together on the project to create a shared work. WCNC Charlotte's Tradisha Woodard looks at what the plans include. Two competing developers with two proposals. Now one team with one vision. Everybody's been fantastic and really come together in such a collaborative way. After 42 days of planning, both developers are now proposing to create the complex, a project they say is reimagined and rethought after merging both proposals together. It will be active with all these diversity of uses and bringing and giving people a lot of different reasons to visit Eastland Yards. The plan still includes a combination of space for both indoor and outdoor sports. We will still have soccer fields and the ability to host tournaments. Up to six soccer fields will be included. Again, this comes with community access for play and gatherings. They say they'll also have other things included like restaurants and retail, but some items did get the axe. One of the plans taken out of the proposal was the 18,000 person amphitheater. 
A hotel was also not included in the plans, but they say it could still be a possibility in the near future. I talked about having future phases that can accommodate more commercial. So just because you don't see it on the 29 acres doesn't mean that it can't happen here on this site. Now that city leaders have given the thumbs up and approved up to $30 million for reimbursement of expenses with things like public infrastructure permits, some are excited about the future of East Charlotte. Based on what I'm hearing today, which I think is we're moving in the right direction, um, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of turning back from here. Tradisha Woodard, WCNC Charlotte. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Folks, come interact with us on social media, Instagram, X, Facebook, you name it, we're there. If there's something you want us to talk about here on Flashpoint, let us know. And as always, you can listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next weekend.